This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Beloved, it's no doubt that we look at the world today and we think, wow, so much evil that goes on. We can look at those that have come into church fellowships all across not all across the world and, and through generations of time, even since the very beginning, you think, how, how could they have done that? How could the Lord have allowed that to happen? My beloved, the thing that you and I need to understand is God is still in charge and God will deal with these who have done such destruction. The last time you were with us, Pastor David talked about all the evil that is present in this world. And day after day, it seems that the wicked continue to get away with their deeds. But as we just heard a moment ago from Pastor David, there is coming a time when the righteous judge of the universe will rain down judgment upon those that have chosen to walk in opposition to his loving instructions. God doesn't want any to perish. But sadly, there will be those that reject his free gift of salvation. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Jude, chapter 1, for the conclusion of our message entitled, Enoch's Warning. He says that they're clouds without water. He says that they're late autumn trees. He says that they're raging waves of the sea. They're wandering stars. Here in the desert southwest, we know what it's like to have clouds without water, don't we? We we anticipate the clouds during the summer. We we pray for the clouds. We beg for the clouds. And suddenly we see out on the horizon clouds forming. We think, oh, great, a little bit of break from this dryness of the summer heat. And then those clouds just blow on by and give us absolutely nothing. That's what he's saying about these, that they bring nothing of value. They leave only frustration and hopelessness. These men, they come in and, and we might feel that perhaps these are those that are mature. Perhaps they're able to assist. Maybe they're able to build up the ministry of the church. But what appears to be the possibility of nurturing, the possibility of goodness, only leaves the church with unmet expectations. They're in the fellowship, but they do absolutely no service for the fellowship. They're simply clouds without water carried about by the winds. As to having any kind of true value to the church, these men were spiritually dead and they were fruitless. He says that they were late autumn trees without fruit. The idea of these trees is that trees should be bearing fruit and yet like the trees that are late in autumn, there's no fruit in their lives. And so they're twice dead, Jude says. They're dead in their own spiritual lives, but they're also dead to any kind of assistance that they would give in being able to assist the church. Jude describes here the, a, a tree that's been dead for a while, even to the point that it's been pulled up out of the orchard. It's a tree which is dead, not producing any fruit, not having any value. It's doubly dead. It's been pulled up by its fruit. These men weren't useful for anything except for the burn pile. In the normal run of things, waves of the sea are useful. We enjoy going to the beach whenever we go to California. In fact, every time we go to California, we try to make at least one day to the beach. 
And it's enjoyable to be there and enjoy the waves. And the normal run of things, the waves of the sea, are the things that are responsible for forming and changing the shorelines. In the normal run of things, waves are beautiful to see. In the normal run of things, uh, those that enjoy even surfing uh, in, enjoy the waves. But that's the normal run of things. But that's not what Jude is speaking about here. What Jude is speaking about here are these raging waves. The kind of waves that even a diehard surfer wouldn't even attempt to go out to. These are waves that, again, they foaming up in their own shame. Waves that are totally useless and, as a matter of fact, can be very dangerous, destructive, and damaging to life and to property. And yet beyond that, Jude speaks of that foam of these waves. The foam being the revelation of the shame of these men's lives. By the very activity of these men, within the fellowship, they display their own shame by the destruction that they bring to the individuals, to the families, and perhaps even to the whole fellowship. There's no doubt that Jude, as he wrote this, was reminded of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah in chapter 57, verse 20 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Casting up mire and dirt, Jude says, foaming up their own shame. These are the results of these raging waves, the results of troubled sea, the results of these ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The last of the natural world illustrations that he uses here. Jude speaks of they're like wandering stars, and there's a lot of debate about what he means by the wandering star. The Greek word that he uses is actually planetes, and planetes is directly where we get our word planet, but a direct translation of it means wandering or erratic, and the reason that came about is early stargazers, as they would look up in the heavens, they could see the the set course of, of all the stars and how they would continually be the same, yet only slightly changing through the year. But the, you could you could chart your course by these stars. The North Star was always to the north. The rest of the star patterns would go around. But then in the midst of that, they would see these wandering stars that one night they're here, the next night they're over here, the next night they're down, and they wandering. And so they called, actually, the planets at that time, before they knew that they were planets, they called them wandering stars. But yet I believe also that when we look at the balance of this statement where Jude says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever, I believe with a lot of others that Jude isn't speaking about the wandering planets. I believe that what he's speaking about are like asteroids or comets or meteors because they're there for a while and they they get our attention for a while. And Some comets we've seen even during our lifetimes that really get our attention for a while. But then they fade off into darkness. They fade off into blackness. Perhaps some nights uh, you've stood looking at the sky and suddenly a meteor comes and you can see it and then all of a sudden it fades off into blackness and darkness, never to return again. I don't think it matters too much whether Jude is speaking about the planets or meteors, but I think that the result is the same. These stars or these planets 
They couldn't be counted on to chart your course because they were moving all the time. There was no stability to them. They were too erratic. No sailor or sea traveler could depend upon these wanderers. Why? Because they would lead them astray. Possibly even to that blackness of darkness forever. After fully and completely describing both from Old Testament illustrations, from illustrations from the natural world, then Jude declares that there's going to be great judgment on these men who have crept in, who are bringing destruction into the body. Listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Everything we know about Enoch, biblically, actually only comes from three sections of Scripture. We've got a short portion there in Genesis chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 11 mentions him in one verse, and then Jude's reference to him here. We don't have, biblically, any writings of Jude at all. Or, I mean, of of Enoch at all. Jude makes clear that this Enoch that he's speaking of is the seventh one from Adam, the one from Genesis that we look at. And then Jude goes on to quote from a prophecy that we don't find in our Bibles. So here Jude is quoting again from a non-biblical source, just as he did about the battle of Michael and the devil over the body of Moses. And and, and this causes a lot of people a lot of stress. They're thinking, well, if, if Jude is quoting from these things, shouldn't we have those in the Bible so that we could reference them? No, not necessarily. What he's looking at in this is, yeah, a truth that was written. There's, there's a, uh, again, the, the book is called First Enoch. It was actually written in 115 BC from the oral tradition that had been with the Jews for, for hundreds and even thousands of years. The oral tradition had been there. Finally, it was written down in 115 BC. Undoubtedly well known to the apostles, well known to Jude at that time, and yet, it's nothing that ever became canonical within our scriptures. As a matter of fact, neither the Jews, nor the Catholics, nor the Russian, nor Greek Orthodox, nor any major Protestant denomination accepts that book as a biblical book, as a canonical book. And the primary reason is, is though there may be some good stuff in there, also within there, there are teachings that go absolutely uh, opposed to the apostles' doctrine. And so long ago they determined, no, that's, that's not an important book. But yet within that, there is a truth that Jude quotes uh, about this destruction that's coming upon all of those that have turned against God, who have, again, been those who were ungodly. Warren Wiersbe, a Bible commentator, writes this about this. He says, when Enoch originally gave this message, it possibly was referring to the coming judgment of the flood. He certainly lived in an ungodly age, and it seemed that sinners were getting away with evil deeds, kind of like what we see today. But Enoch made it clear that judgment was coming and that the ungodly would get what was coming to them. 
Beloved, it's no doubt that we look at the world today and we think, wow, there's so much evil that goes on. We can look at those that have come into church fellowships all across, not all across the world and, and through generations of time, even since the very beginning, you think, how, how could they have done that? How could the Lord have allowed that to happen? My beloved, the thing that you and I need to understand is God is still in charge and God will deal with these who have done such destruction. I want you to turn to one other place as we wrap it up this morning. In Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Again, Peter talks about the, the surety of judgment, but also the reality that, yeah, judgment has been delayed. But that's okay. God is still in charge. Now understand, Peter is writing this 2,000 years ago, and we still wait, don't we? We still anticipate that time. But even at Peter's time, there were those that wondered if the judgment of the wicked was actually going to take place. Listen to what he says in Second Peter chapter 3. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. It's kind of like as we've been going through Jude, and we've said a lot of things over and over and over again. Beloved, it's because I want to remind you. Because I need to be reminded, because we all need to be reminded that God is in charge and he's knowledgeable of all of these things that are going on, even and particularly within the body of Christ. Verse 2, he says, I've written these things that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord, of our, of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He says in verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What Peter is saying is those that say, God, God's not going to deal with the wicked. I can continue on all that I want. There is no reality of judgment. And perhaps even in their minds, they say there's not even a real God. And yet Peter says, you know what? They forget the fact that God did bring judgment on the entire world when he brought in the flood of Noah's time. Do you remember how many righteous people God found during the time of Noah? Can you count to one? One righteous man among all of the population. And God wiped them out by the flood. And now Peter is saying, he's not going to do it by the flood anymore. Remember, he said, he gave us the rainbow. He says, now every time you see that rainbow, you'll remember that I'm not going to wipe you out by flood. But what is going to happen is the world will be destroyed by fire next time. God will totally annihilate all that's here. That's why I use the phrase many times you may have heard me saying, hey, it's all going to burn. We we worry about material things in this world. We just need to understand, hey, you know what? It's all going to burn. No need to really worry about it. But Peter continues on here in verse 8. 
He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, come as a thief in the night, by which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Verse 11 says, Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture. And what Peter is saying here is some of the things that Paul has declared, these ungodly men, even these, I believe that Jude speaks about, that have crept in, they'll take Scripture and they'll twist and they'll turn. They'll use it for their own purposes and in their own minds. Rather than looking at it in the context of the completeness of God's word, they'll twist those things. Twist them to their own destruction. And they'll bring confusion to those who are untaught. To those, again, who are easy to be manipulated. Verse 17, Peter goes on. He says, you... Therefore, beloved, and he's speaking to the church. He says, you, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. What's our job? What's our duty? We are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, yeah, pastor, that's why I'm here today. That's why I come on most every Sunday morning. That's why I come when it's convenient to come on Sunday mornings. I don't care if you're coming on Sunday morning, coming on Wednesday, if you're involved in the men's group and the women's group. I don't care how many times you come to church. The important thing is for you to be in this word yourself. For you to get a full context of what God's word speaks. Because the more you know of this word, the more steadfast you will be in your own life and in your walk with the Lord. Beloved, if you're not studying the word on your own, these creeps who have crept into fellowships will lead you astray. These ungodly men will lead you in error. Why? Because you didn't know the fullness of God's word. 
And by one or two verses that they pull out of context, they'll lead many astray. And what a sad declaration that is to be able to look and see people who have been actively involved in local fellowships that have been led astray by the wrong teachings of the Word of God. And I don't care if it's the people that come knocking two by two on your door that can lead you astray because you don't know this work, or if it's somebody that's even within the fellowship of the church that suddenly takes off on a strange and a different doctrine. Beloved, you need the fullness of God's Word, and the only way that you're going to get the fullness of God's Word is, yes, under the consistent teaching of God's Word, but also through the study of God's word on your own. We, all of us, need to be like those Bereans. Not only just testing to make sure that what is being preached is the truth, but also going home and studying it on our own. And learning in the context of all of God's word, what the hope and what the message and what the heart of God is for those that would follow him. In order that we wouldn't be twisted up, in order that we wouldn't be damaged by someone who seeks to damage the work of God and yet even the people of God. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have absolutely no excuse to not be in this word. If you say that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you ought to be a student of this word, not thinking that you will get enough by an occasional visit to a church and being under the teaching. And I don't care how equipped or how anointed a a pastor or a teacher, whether it be on the live or rather on the radio or on the TV, wherever it is. Beloved, it's not just from them. It's from God by the power of His Holy Spirit revealing His word to you and you with an open heart and an open mind, hungry for the things of God, being able to receive it as you break open this word yourself. You and I, we need to be students of what God has written to us in order that we might know the fullness of who we are. It's revealed in here. And the fullness of who He is. From Genesis to Revelation speaks of the reality of the greatness and the power of an almighty, sovereign God whose love was so great for his creation, for the failings even of creation. He loved them so much that he sent Christ to die for us in order that when we believe on him, we might receive not only a forgiveness of sin, but the reality of eternal life. But beloved, there's so, so much in here that that's just the beginning. That's just the opening of the door of the revelation of God's word into your life. How necessary it is for us to be balanced within the teaching of the word of God. And it's your responsibility as a believer. I, I'm saddened when I hear of people and they, they, leave our fellowship, they leave other fellowships, uh, and perhaps you're here today and you've given even the same excuse. And they say, well, I wasn't fed there, or I wasn't fed over here. Okay, but are you feeding yourself? Are you feeding yourself? And when you come, do you come hungry for the word? And in spite of the failings of a preacher, can you still gain and glean from the teaching of God's word. Beloved, the reason we 
And I say we because I throw myself into the wide pot of Western evangelicalism, of the church of the West. The reason that we are so anemic and so powerless is because we continue to fail to tap in to the power that's been made available to us. The power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God for the people of God to do the will of God. Pastor David is currently teaching through the book of Jude here on The Open Word. In this study through the book of Jude, we'll learn how vitally important it is for us to contend earnestly for our Christian faith these last days. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter and become a Facebook friend. Links are available at TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time as David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Jude. That's next time on The Open Word.